But we're looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. If you're not familiar with where we are in the Bible, you know, Luke is the third of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke tells uh, his narrative of, uh, of the Gospel from a perspective of a physician. He's a Gentile physician, is who he is. So his theme for the book of Luke is the certainty of faith, that we would be certain that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to live a perfect life, to die on our behalf, and to raise again. So where we are today is Luke chapter 9. Earlier in Luke chapter 9, we see that Jesus is traveling with his 12 disciples. Okay, He's traveling along the road, and we see that two different times in this one chapter that he has foretold that he is going to the cross. He is going to die. And you can imagine the reaction he gets from his 12 closest friends, right? And in this same chapter, he tells them, disciples, if you're going to follow me, that means you need to follow me to the cross. You need to take your own cross and bear it. So just prior to this in chapter 9, the section right before where where we are this morning, the text tells us, Luke tells us that Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem. From Luke chapter 9 forward, we see an account, a slow moving of Jesus and his disciples moving towards the cross, moving towards Jerusalem where his execution awaits him. So he's going from town to town, preaching the gospel of salvation through him, and yet being rejected time and time again. This morning, we're going to see that when he proclaims the gospel, he does not spare the fact that it costs people something to follow him. Today, we see in our text, we see Jesus interacting with three different people, and theologians call them would-be disciples. They're saying, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. But each one of them has a different excuse of why they can't follow right away. So we're going to be looking at the text this morning and seeing this interaction with these three different people. We're in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Let's go ahead and read the text together. And they were going along the road, and someone said to him, that's Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead for for as for you, but go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are thankful that you humbled yourself to take on flesh, to know the road ahead of you. Even in Luke chapter 9, earlier, we see that you turned your face towards Jerusalem, that you were committed to going to the cross to bear our sin and our shame. And Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would be with us here, 
that these uh, words from your gospel would not fall on deaf ears, but that we would be transformed by the work of your Holy Spirit in us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As many of you know, we have three daughters, uh, Emma, Haven, and Audra. They're seven, six, and one. And ever since I can remember, you know, many people before you have children will say, well, you better get your sleep now because it's not coming in the foreseeable future. You know, it's one of those things you kind of blow off as a, as a, a soon-to-be parent because you're like, ah, I'll be fine. Oh, yeah, you find out that you're not going to be fine, and you're not fine. So as, as long as I can remember, as my children have grown up, bedtime has been a very difficult time for us. They have always, from the earliest age to now even, they just, just somehow come up with excuse after excuse after excuse on why they're not going to go to bed. Okay? So now I want you to know that they're uh, seven and six, and I'm not talking about one in specific, just a group of them, so don't think about their faces, just think about the illustration, okay, because many of you know them. But I want you to think about them now. They're in school, so they know how to read time. They know when their bedtime is. They know their schedule. So it's creeping up to seven o'clock on a school night, and what happens? All All the excuses just start flowing out, right? It just one after the other. They're my little princesses, right? They're daddy's little girl. So I cave way too often. And they know that about me. They know that big time. So it, all the excuses start on the outside of the room, right? They're like, oh, I've got to study my spelling words more. Sometimes good things like that. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's study your spelling words. Sometimes they're, they're hungry or they need to clean their room a little bit more. You know, some of these things, are, they know me now. They're like, it's like a little, okay, I'm going to clean my room. Okay, I'm going to let you stay up for that. Yes, amen. Once we get to the inside of the room, the same thing happens, right? It's like, oh, I'm not tired. I want to read a book. I spill water all over my blanket. It's one thing after the other, right? They, 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 they can somehow figure out all these excuses on not to go to bed, even though it's the same thing that happens every single day. And for many of us, we laugh, right? Many of us do the same thing in our life with all kinds of things. Like we come up with excuses, even though we're not under the age of 10, for, for not doing the things that we should do, the things that we need to do. We make excuses not to do them. We find reasons not to do the things that we ought to do. We say, the dishes can stay in the sink another night. The grass doesn't really need to get mowed. The assignment isn't due till next week, so why start working on it now? We don't feel up for it. We don't want to give up our time, our energy And this same thought process can easily creep into our relationship with the Lord, right? That we easily find reasons to neglect our relationship with God, to abandon it altogether at times. That we're too tired, we're too busy, we're too lazy. And sometimes, or for good theologians in the Reformed theology, we can say that we use our own theology against us. Well, God's not going to love me anymore if I read my Bible tonight. Ooh, that's scary, right? We can do bad things like that. We can make excuses for our lack of zeal for our relationship with the Lord. And today we see Jesus interacting with three different people who are calling, some of them are calling to Jesus saying, I want to follow you. Jesus calls one and says, follow me. But all three of them, they have different excuses why they're not going to follow him. So the theme we're looking at today, that Jesus 
the disciples of Jesus are to put aside everything and follow him. That's the theme, that the disciples of Jesus are to put aside everything. There's nothing more important than following Jesus. I have an outline in your bulletin for you. It should be up here as well. There's three different areas we're going to look at. It's three interactions of three people. The first one is without a home, verses 57 and verse 58. Without hesitation is the second one. And lastly, we'll be looking at without looking back. Okay, so before we get straight into the text in verse 57, we have to see the main uh, idea that we're looking at in this chunk of Scripture. If you think about back to when the disciples were called, we could have said the emphasis was primarily on Jesus calling these men so he would follow them. We knew their stories and we knew uh, their reaction to Jesus. Did they follow or not? Well, here in Luke chapter 9, it's a very different narrative. It's, it's less about the individual people who are being called, and it's more about the call to discipleship as a whole. And we know that because we actually don't know if these three people ended up following Jesus or not. We don't know the result. So here we're looking at this broad idea of what is the cost to discipleship? What does it mean for us to follow Jesus, and what is it going to cost us in our life? And this text is going to help us answer these questions. So let's first look at verse uh, 57 without a home. It says this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you wherever you go. That's what he says. So you see this first person is full of zeal. It's like, Jesus, I, I've seen what you have done and I will follow you. I am ready. I'm ready to leave behind everything I have to follow you. You know, some of the Gospels, they have similar accounts. And we actually see this account with this specific person in Matthew's Gospel. And Matthew tells us that this person is a scribe. He's a teacher. So he's essentially saying, I want you to teach me. Yes, I teach people for a living. But I want to follow you so that you can teach me. He's full of zeal. And we can look at this text and say, wow, I want to be like this guy. I... I want to be like him. I want to follow Jesus. But his zeal, you can see that if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you know that it's not easy. It comes with its own cost, right? To follow Jesus is to constantly put down these desires that are within us, that are contrary to godly living, to put to death sin over and over again and it's painful it requires sacrifice and this so this man he's eager he's eager to follow jesus but we get to see by jesus's response that he really hasn't fully counted the cost of following him verse 58 says this and jesus said to him foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head Beautiful thing, if you read the Gospels, I had to do an assignment in seminary. We had to read all the Gospels, and we had two double-spaced pages to write the purpose of Jesus' coming to the earth. Really awesome assignment. If you ever want to do it, it's, it's, it's really good for any Christian to do. And the beautiful thing is, when you see Jesus talking any time in the Gospel about following him, he never sugarcoats it. He never says, follow me, and you're going to have everything you want on this earth. He never sugarcoats. He, he, he always lays it right out on the table. It's going to cost you something to follow me. So for this man, he knows his heart. He knows his struggles. He's eager to follow him. But at the same time, he doesn't know the cost. 
Foxes and birds, Jesus says, they have, they have places they go to every night to sleep. They have a, a permanent residency somewhere here. But if you want to follow me, you want to follow Jesus, that's not the case. One theologian says, for the Son of Man, things are entirely different. However, in his wandering from place to place, he, for whom there was no room for him in the inn, has no place on which he can figure to spend the night each night. And as the story develops, Judea rejects him, Galilee casts him out, Gadara begs him to leave its district, Samaria refuses him lodging, and the earth will not have him. And finally, heaven forsakes him. Jesus is showing this man that following Jesus comes with warfare. It comes with struggle, You engage in a a battle against sin through the power of the Holy Spirit until the day that you take your last breath or Jesus comes back. It's a battle that will go on forever until Jesus comes back. So this earth, remember the the title of this section where we are is without a home. Saying Jesus doesn't have a home. This earth here can make you feel homeless. You can feel like there's no comfort here. I'm always in this battle. You don't have a place of belonging. You are without a home. This last week, I was reminded that Christmas is kind of right around the corner. We haven't even hit Halloween yet, but I was in Lowe's, you know, having a little bit of my uh, masculine time while I go home to a, a house full of pink stuff, so I go to Lowe's for a few minutes. And I went to Lowe's, and I walked in, and on the right, there's, there's a few Halloween decorations, and it's just Christmas everywhere, right? Just kind of ridiculous, but... Every year, we watch this one movie. We watch several movies every year, but one of them, one of my favorites, is Elf. It's a great movie. Uh, main character is Will Ferrell. It's just, just so funny, right? So the main plot of this movie is that he is a human being. Will Ferrell, Buddy the Elf, is a human being that's raised by elves, right? When he's little, they show him in school. It's like maybe first grade, and he's huge. I mean, he's an adult. And it makes it really funny, right? Like, he, it just shows him... Time and time and time again, as an elf, out of place completely, right? He can't make toys as fast. He doesn't fit in the bed. He doesn't fit in the shower. He can't, doesn't fit in the desk at school, all these certain, certain things. So as he gets a little bit older, he realizes something's different about me, right? So he finds out that he's a human. He overhears some of the papa elves talking, and he finds out that he's a human. So with this new knowledge, he decides, I'm going to go to New York City to find my father, Okay, so he's wearing his elf costume. Obviously, this is very fiction, right? He was raised in the North Pole, but when he gets to New York City, he was away from home when he was in the North Pole, right? But when he gets to New York City, he's even more away from home. He's completely out of his element. I'm going to tell you a couple things that he does. He eats gum in New York City out from underneath the subway rail and puts it in his mouth. Okay? He doesn't have proper social skills. There's a woman singing in the bathroom, in the women's bathroom, so he walks in and starts singing with her. He eats sugar for every meal. He pours syrup on his spaghetti. Okay? Once he finds his dad, he's like, I need to get, her a, get him a gift, so I'm going I'm to go to the store. And he goes to the store, and you know the story. He picks out a piece of woman's clothing because on the tag it says, for someone special. <laughs> oh, it's too funny. And so he is living in a world where he does not belong. He doesn't know the norms. He doesn't fit in at all. Right? He's walking around just clueless. He does not belong there. 
the Christian life can often feel like this. We laugh, right? But it can feel like this for us. Like we've been plopped in a world where we don't fit. We have different values, different desires, different hopes for those around us. And as a follower of Jesus, you know that we'll always feel somewhat away from home. It's not that we were not made for earth. The Bible actually doesn't defend that at all. This is why when we see the proclamation by John in Revelation of the renewal of all things, he says there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. He's renewing the earth. But for you and me who have been sanctified and justified by the blood of Jesus, sin is no longer our home. It is no longer where we belong. So an earth that is tainted by sin will always make us feel homeless. It's sin that we weren't made to dwell with. So when Jesus saves you, you can feel away from home. Like, I I don't belong here. So for us, as we are feeling homeless out of our comforts at times, I have to ask, what has it costed us? What has it costed you to follow Jesus? Has it costed you friends, advancement in your career, maybe certain pleasures or monetary gain? I think it's important when we come to a text like this, what has it costed us? Or has it costed us very little? It could be that it's not costing us hardly anything at times. We get lax, we find comfort in the things of this world. We look around us and we see, well, everyone's doing well, so I'm just going to follow suit. It's just one business deal. It's just how everyone treats each other in the office. It's just not that important to engage my neighbor on hard topics. We can quickly get too comfortable here because our lives are relatively and the whole world, if you think about the world, we're very comfortable here. So it's easy for us not to even think about engaging in the battle of the kingdom. Now Jesus tells us that in a world that is stained by sin, his followers will be without a home because they have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Sin and death have been conquered for you. We know the battle has already been won. Yet, we live in a world at the same time that is still stained with sin. This idea of already not yet, we talk about that a lot here. But so for maybe for you, you are engaged in the battle. You are feeling the cost of discipleship each day. You go to work and you are trying to speak love and grace to your co-workers. You're getting to know your neighbors. You're doing the things that God has called you to do. So in this moment of despair, when we feel homeless here, know that the Lord has not left us alone. We may be homeless in the presence of sin, but there's a home that will never leave us, that will never forsake us. We have a home that brings true security, true comfort, true relief, and that's in Jesus himself. He is the home where we can find safety, where we can find rest. Yes, there will be a struggle day in and day out that feels like it never ceases. At the same time, we have a place where we can turn to that is home. And out of that, when we find our home in Jesus, our security, our rest, that's when we have strength to go, right? When you come here and are nourished by God's word and God's uh, table, yesterday we had a communicant class, 
for the children. One thing I told them, one of the questions was, why do we take the Lord's Supper each week? And it was a good reminder for me, and that's why I'm saying it again. I think it's a good reminder for us. Why do we take the Lord's Supper each week? We believe that these elements, mixed with faith, nourish God's people's faith, that we need this. We need the table. We believe that this is a means of grace, that you are, you are gaining strength from coming to the table. So when we feel weary, we go to Jesus. We come to his table and be strengthened so that when we have the strength given from him, we can go out into the world and be part of the redeeming of this world that God has called us to do. Okay, secondly, let's look at without hesitation. This is verses 59 and 60. Verse 59 says this. To another he said, follow me. But he said, in return, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So this is the second of three, what we call would-be disciples. And we see that here that Jesus is actually the initiator of this conversation. The other two, we actually see the other, the other person is coming to Jesus. But here, Jesus says to this person, follow me. Verse 59 tells us that this man's father had just died. And he asks Jesus if he can go bury him first. And I want you to notice one word in this verse that's very important. This would-be disciple uses, and it's the word first. Can I just first go do this? Can I just first go bury my father? According to the custom of the time, burial took place soon after death. And in Israel specifically, giving an honorable burial was not only a duty, but a kindness that ranked higher than any other service of a child for a parent. I'm going to read you a couple quotes from a couple theologians that nail down this point a little further. One says this, according to the rabbis, providing a decent burial for one's dear one took precedence over almost everything else, including Attending religious services, studying the law, etc. It is not surprising, therefore, that Jesus was asked by this man for permission to first bury his father. On the surface, the request for delay seems to be reasonable. All of us would probably agree with that. One other theologian goes on, says this, The Jews counted proper burial as most important. To leave the father unburied was something scandalous to a Jew. The duty of burial took precedence over the study of the law, the temple service, the killing of the Passover sacrifice, the observance of circumcision, and the reading of the Megalaw. In some of those two things, the burial of a parent was very, very important in this time. So it sounds reasonable. I've read this text many times in my life, siding with the disciple, <laughs> saying this sounds reasonable to me, if my mom and dad, mom or dad passed away, I would want to be there. What does Jesus, how does Jesus respond? Verse 60. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Ouch. At first reading, we can see that we can feel like Jesus' response is very harsh. It's shocking to us right? Sounds reasonable. Can I just go bury my father? But Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. 
So he's essentially saying, let the spiritually dead, those who do not know Jesus, bury this person, your father, because they can bury him, but they cannot proclaim the gospel. You need to go proclaim the gospel. There are several explanations. I read a lot about this text because I was, I was not liking it. <laughs> I was not liking Jesus' response, right? Like in me, I, just, I, I don't understand fully, but I, I, I read a few things that were really helpful for me. And I think that we have to remember that Jesus knows this man's heart, right? Like he knows my heart when I was looking at the text. He knows what this man needs to hear. And he's responding in the way bec- that he does because it's best for him. Hendrickson, a commentator that Chuck uses a lot and had a lot of good things to say in this passage, said we can maybe think about these couple things that the Lord was trying to teach this man that he needed to know. First, the fact that Jesus is the sovereign Lord, that following him means doing whatever he commands without qualification, condition, or reservation, that he is sovereign, he's bigger than you could even imagine. He is in charge of everything. And you need to follow him because it's what's best. It's not because he's trying to take away your joy. It's because it's what's best. Secondly, he says, maybe Jesus wishes to teach him that in the kingdom of heaven, the ties pertaining to earthly family life are superseded by those that knit together the members of heavenly or spiritual family. So simply put, he had a few more that I don't think were as pertinent, but I think in all of them, this, the theme that ran through all of them was this, that the demands of the kingdom of God supersede any other demands in life. Now, I want you to hear me say that this text is not an endorsement for foregoing familial responsibilities. This is what, what that is very dangerous about the Bible at times. You can rip something out of context. We could say, well, let's just look at verses 59 and 60, and that means I don't have to bury my parents. Doesn't it sound like that, right? But we have to take it in its own context, right? To understand what Jesus is saying to this one person. It's not an endorsement for foregoing that. Rather, it is helping this one man and us as people to reorient our lives, to see that Jesus is at the very center, that the demands of the kingdom are at the very center of our lives. Remember this disciple, this would-be disciple said, first, let me do this. There is not a demand in life that supersedes following Jesus. That's what he's getting at here. That's, that's the illustration he's pointing, painting for us. The call is to follow him without hesitation as difficult as it can be in life. Okay, let's look lastly at without looking back. This is verses 61 and 62. Verse 61 says this. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let, but f- let me first say farewell to those at my home. So this is another man who uses the word first. Let me first do this. Again, it seems to be a reasonable request. He just wants to say goodbye. It's not a long amount of time. I know when I left for, se- for seminary, I had many goodbye parties, right? We went to my favorite Mexican restaurant, my favorite, or our favorite, sorry, making it all about me, our favorite ice cream shop, and all my friends so I could say bye to everyone that I could. It seems reasonable, right? To make it more complicated, there's actually biblical precedent for what he's asking to do. 
In 1 Kings 19, we see that Elisha is called to leave his family farm and follow the prophet Elijah. And he was granted permission to kiss his father and mother goodbye. Elisha went home, he burned his plow, he slaughtered his oxen, saying, I'm done with farming. And he held a farewell feast for him and his family to say goodbye. So there's biblical precedent. This, this again, was sound Jewish practice for this man that he was asking of Jesus. But look, look, let's see what Jesus says. Verse 62, Jesus said to him, No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So remember what Elisha left? Maybe Jesus has that picture in his mind. We don't know know for sure. This farming illustration. He thinks about Elisha leaving his farm in his mind, and he gives an illustration of farming. He's really focusing his point here, right? In farming. I don't know much about it. I do know a very similar concept, you know, one of the things that I've gotten into is taking care of my grass uh, really well in our backyard. It's a very small amount of grass that I have in the desert. I know something I've just nerding out for a second. I've, I've like read and watched videos about how to do straight lines on a, on, in grass. If you pick a point far off and you, fa- you just watch it and then you go straight, straight forward and do the same thing over and over again. With the same idea, I think it's probably taken from farming, these guys did this, is the same idea. When they want to uh, plow straight lines, they have to keep their head forward. When I was reading about farming, it, that concept came to mind. And to, so to plow straight, it means you've got to look at a distant point in the, few, in the far point out there, and you've got to look towards it. One person, when I was reading about this, said this, farmers who kept looking backwards to see if they were going straight tried to figure out if they are still lined up properly. They ended up zigzagging all over the countryside. So what do we take from this? Jesus knows this person's heart, right? All he wants to do is look back and and, and go to his parents one last time and say goodbye. But for this particular person, it would have been troublesome for him to go home. His priorities were not fully in order, and he may have been tempted to stay. Can you imagine the, the circumstance? I mean, I had friends and family members tell me the same thing when going to seminary. Oh, just stay. You can go online. You can do this, that. He was tempted, right, to, be, to, to, to go back to his family and maybe be persuaded for them. You don't need to follow Jesus. You don't need to do that. Stay here with us. It's safe. It's comfortable. Remember, Jesus... It's getting at the same idea here, that following me, following Jesus, takes priority over everything else. It's not at the top of a list. It's at the center of who you are that informs everything else. This text, again, is not, mis- is not promoting mistreating your family. If you're going to move away, say goodbye to your parents. That's not what the text is saying here. But rather... He's saying, he's urging this person to follow Jesus with everything he has. Don't be tempted by other things that lure you in really easily. Because they will do that. The cost of discipleship can be high. Leaving behind all you know with a desire to follow him is going to cost you something. The thing is, for all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, not in the room, we're all tempted to follow what's inside of us. Our own way. Not think of others before ourselves. 
in our passage today, we see that Jesus is calling these three different people to live without a home, to follow him without hesitation, without looking back on their past life. And all of this is only possible through the work of Jesus in your life. We can never just follow him to gain some sort of uh, merit. We can't gain enough tokens to, to, to get, make our way into heaven. It's only when Jesus calls us and saves us that we can even pursue him. And why is that? Because Jesus himself, he did give up his home. He did give up his claim to family. And more than that, he gave up the glories of heaven to suffer on the cross for you and me. He had wholehearted devotion. He was single-minded to follow the will of his Father. There were no firsts, let me do this. First, let me do this. No, he was obedient. In Luke 22, later in this gospel, we see Jesus crying out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What was the will of the Father? To crush his very Son, so that through his death and through his resurrection, his children, you and me, could be clothed in the perfection, the righteousness of Jesus. So today, when we talk about the cost of discipleship, that it's going to cost you something, and I'm not sugarcoating it, it's going to. We're only able to even begin the process of following him because he first absorbed the whole cost of our sin. In Jesus, you have a a home that can never be taken away. He went to the cross without hesitation, without looking back. You have a Savior that you can rest in. And this is where we gain our strength to bear the cost of scrutiny when we live for Him. One of my favorite hymns is How Deep the Father's Love for Us, and it says this. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory you and i are ultimately able to follow jesus because of this searing loss because of these wounds that were marred on the chosen one so as you and me as we pursue jesus as we seek to follow him let us look to him first to be strengthened by his word be strengthened by his person be strengthened by his table for it is him who has made us sons of glory let us pray together God, we are full of excuses each day for reasons we don't want to follow you. And God, we pray for strength. Many of us in the room would say that we want to follow you, but we are tempted in this way or that. And Father, we pray that your word would go from this place into our hearts and that we would be strengthened to live for you. God, that your glory may be manifested in El Paso through us as, our, as your agents of grace to 
this city, that our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers would know you, that you would use us for your kingdom's sake. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.